Being a teenager isn't easy, and some people believe that sometimes being a teenage girl can be even harder. There are interests to cultivate and a bunch of adults that are always telling you what you can and can't do with your time, your mind, and your body. Teenage girls grapple with puberty, friendship drama, their studies, and so much more. But sometimes they grapple with something even more terrible. The fact that some adults don't care that they are actually children. My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to talk about two murders that happened six years apart in 1978 and 1984, respectively. The murders of Barbara Nantis and Claire Hugh. These murders were eventually dubbed the Tory Pine murders, and as we'll discuss, Barbara and Claire might not be the only victims of this killer. Both Barbara and Claire were found dead at Torrey Pines State Beach under notable and horrific circumstances. Something that I found interesting about these murders is the fact that pretty much every article loves to focus on the beach itself. I'm not sure if it's purely for journalistic flourish or if there's something truly spectacular about Torrey Pines Beach because I've never been there, but a lot of the articles that I read focused on the area and just how beautiful and safe it's always been. But because of these cases, we know that this actually isn't true. Barbara Nantis was 15 years old on the day that she died. An eager sophomore in high school, she had already made it onto the varsity cheerleading squad. On August 12, 1978, Barbara was out for a special night. She and her 17-year-old boyfriend, a guy by the name of Jim Alt, were spending the night on the beach together. Jim told CBS what he remembered from that night, talking about the fires that dotted the beach and the way that he and Barbara spent their time. To describe them, Jim actually said, I was a surfer. She was a girl that worshipped the sun. And I thought that that was kind of beautiful, honestly. The two planned to stay there until they had to leave, and they'd even brought sleeping bags to pass their time together on the sand. Their two friends, another couple, made the decision to sleep in the station wagon instead. Eventually, Barbara and Jim fell asleep while holding each other in their sleeping bags, just like they intended. Though they fell asleep in a peaceful moment of childhood romance, the morning did not bring that same joy. Rick Selga, the young man who spent the night in the car with his girlfriend, awoke with a start. Jim Alt nearly unrecognizable because of how badly he had been beaten, was knocking on the window. Police later determined that Jim Alt was beaten using rocks and logs from the fire pit at his and Barbara's campsite. Immediately, seeing the damage, Rick and his girlfriend made a plan to get help. Rick ran out to the beach looking for Barbara, and when he found her, I'm pretty sure that he wished he hadn't. 
Barbara was dead, and she was also mutilated before being put on horrible display near the lifeguard's tower. Her parents received the news while they were actually traveling out of town. They had left their children with a trusted family friend and an adult. These are kind of the one-off details in true crime cases that I think really get overlooked, but if you think about them, they make the reality of the case so much more severe. Barbara's parents left her with an adult that they trusted and had no idea that she had been allowed to spend a night at the beach with her boyfriend, much less that she would be in harm's way at all. I cannot imagine what kind of conflict would come from that realization, or just the guilt that the family friend must have felt when they realized what happened. Barbara's case was a key point of focus because of the horrific nature of the crime, but police really didn't find much. Claire Hugh was 14 years old on the day that she died. She wasn't from the area, or even from the state, but she regularly frequented this beach with her family every chance that she could. She had just been there with her best friend soaking up the sun, but before her friend returned to Rhode Island, she left Claire with a warning. She asked Claire not to go back to the beach after dark only two days before she was killed. The reason? While she was there during the night a couple days prior, she got a bad feeling. Then, within a couple of days, Claire was dead. Barbara and Claire were both found at the beach under very specific circumstances. Both girls had been badly beaten, strangled, and suffered mutilation at the hands of their killers. They were both put on display and, as a horrifying trademark, had their mouths stuffed with sand from the beach, which police believe was done to keep them from being able to scream during the attacks. The similarities were notable, but with how far apart the cases were, that wasn't immediately apparent. Barbara and Claire's families had no idea that their daughters both met the same fate until much later, which I'm sure did not go over well when they realized that it had happened to somebody else's kid, too. According to reports, other girls in similar circumstances had also been found, but no one ever really thought to question it. Once everything came to light, people had to ask, was there a serial killer stalking Tory Pines? Decades passed before police made any true breakthroughs, and when they did, something truly disturbing came to light. In 2012, police were able to carry out DNA testing from Barbara and Claire's cases. Two matches were found. One piece of evidence seemed like it made perfect sense. The other is definitely what TV shows are made from, and you will understand what I mean a little later. The first DNA match came from blood on Claire's pants. This DNA matched serial rapist Ronald Tatro. It made sense, right? These young women were brutalized and raped. 
a serial rapist did seem like a perfect fit. The other DNA match, however, was a lot more concerning. It belonged to Kevin Brown, a criminalist that worked in a lab at the San Diego Police Department. Kevin had been retired for a full decade at this point. Police were pleased to find a match on the DNA, but their joy quickly turned to anger and then fear. Ronald made sense, but there was just one problem. They couldn't bring him into custody. Ronald Tatro had died a year prior. He drowned in a river in Tennessee. Police believe that his death was an accident, but others believe there might be more to the story. Some even think that the police were becoming more likely to identify him and that after several previous attempts, Ronald Tatro actually decided to end his life. When they realized that he was already dead, they were pretty quick to move on to their next suspect, Kevin Brown. When police approached Kevin Brown, they did so with the intent to trick him. After being told that there was no reason for cross-contamination despite Kevin's forensic work at the precinct, they zeroed in on Brown and tried to connect him with Tatro. They said that Ronald Tatro had remembered him and tried to get Kevin Brown to admit that he knew him somehow, and they didn't really say who Tatro was. This was their approach to confirming that the two had worked together to kill these young women. But Kevin Brown did not remember a Ronald Tatro, and he said as much. Police continued their pursuit of Kevin Brown, publicly claiming that he was responsible for the murders of these two girls. And then something unexpected happened. Kevin Brown killed himself at the age of 62. When he did it, he left an underlined quote from the Bible about wrongful persecution behind. If Kevin Brown really was responsible for the murders, it would appear that the San Diego Police Department had an actual real-life Dexter situation on their hands. Was Kevin Brown the criminal that police believed that he was, or was this some kind of mix-up? Was he a serial killer hiding in plain sight while secretly stalking girls? Some people believe so, but a lot of others don't. In fact, in 2020, Rebecca Brown, Kevin's wife, was awarded $6 million from police after it was determined that their actions, and what are now considered baseless claims, actually resulted in his wrongful death. I don't know what is true, and I don't know if we ever will, but I do know that Kevin Brown was not the only man driven to suicide over this case. Claire was found by a man named Wally Wheeler. He reported the body to police, but police thought that he might have actually played a bigger role in Claire's death. And this is where things got a little hazy during her investigation. Wheeler told police and Claire's parents that he was psychic. An army veteran who had served in World War II, he was known to spend time collecting cans on the beach. On the day that he found Claire, 
he told police that he saw the murder in a psychic vision and actually gave a full description of her attacker. Police were unnerved by Wheeler and the excited energy that he brought to an otherwise devastating murder case. In fact, they set up microphones at a memorial for Claire, hoping to catch his confession. After a few years of harassment being investigated, Wheeler drove his car off a cliff. Those around him strongly believed that it was a combination of mental illness and police scrutiny that drove him to the literal edge. And to this day, there is no real confirmation on what happened to any of the people involved with this story. It's almost like everybody kind of ended in mystery. We have people who might have been involved, people who police believe are likely involved, but nothing truly concrete that everyone seems to agree on. What we do know is that if any of the accused men were responsible for the deaths of these young women, then we can all rest easy. Unfortunately, it seems like there might be some families with differing opinions that have been left behind. We really don't know if any of these men were murderers or victims in this case. DNA evidence can be confusing, and while most of us might perk up at the potential for a real-life Dexter situation just because it makes a good story, and you know I love a good story, it still doesn't mean that it's true. The only truth here is that Barbara, Claire, and several other women might have fallen victim to the same monster or monsters, and there's a chance that they might still be out there. So, if you want to talk unexplained murders, campfires on the beach, or the weird and sometimes dramatic difficulties of growing up as a teenage girl, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram using the tag at datpod. And, if you're looking for easy ad-free listening, be sure to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash like and inscribe. Thanks, guys.